us today. Looking forward to looking at God's word in, in this passage, and I'll just open us up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. Lord, as we look at this passage, Lord, I pray that I would communicate it clearly, Lord. I just pray that um, anything that's of you would be remembered and that we would take to heart, and anything that is not of you, Lord, would be forgotten. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 26, we'll start at verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you have always the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into, a city, into the city, insert a man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, to him, one after the other, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Now as they were saying, Jesus took bread as we were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Well, the word extravagant is defined by the Webster's Dictionary this way. Exceeding the limits of reason or necessity. Lacking in balance, moderation, or restraint. Extremely or excessively elaborate. Extremely or unreasonably high in price. Spending much more than is necessary. Well, I was thinking about going to the Super Bowl today, and so I went on StubHub, and I found some great tickets. They were 27 rows back behind the Chiefs bench, um, and they were $33,994 a ticket. Uh, so for, to bring me and my wife to the Super Bowl, it would be $68,000. We decided not to go. So, you know, you think about that, and that's, that's obviously a lot of money. And say you get there right at the beginning, they have like pregame festivities, and say you get there right at the beginning when it opens up, 
and you stay to the very end when the trophies are passed out and whatnot, it's about maybe about eight hours. So you kind of look at that in like an hourly rate. You're spending about $8,500 per hour for entertainment, not including food, souvenirs, or the money to get there. That's kind of the definition of extravagant. And we think about like $68,000. Most of us don't make $68,000 in a year. And, you know, what could you do with $68,000? You could probably buy uh, a really, really nice car, or you could buy maybe two cars. You could put a down payment down on a house. Uh, you could start a business. You could pay off student loans. Uh, you could help many people who are in need. Um, there's so many different things you could do with $68,000. And I think the worst part is even if you were going to spend that money on those tickets, you get to 10.30 tonight and you're on your way home and you've spent $68,000 and you have nothing to show for it. You don't even know if you have, you're going to have a good time. Maybe your team lost and so you're just miserable the whole time. And so if I were to ask you, would you spend $68,000 on Super Bowl t tickets, I don't think anyone would say, oh yeah. Most of us would, not, you know, would say, no, I wouldn't spend that because we don't have $68,000. And if we do, we're like, I worked hard for that money, and there's a hundred other things that I would rather do with $68,000 than spend it on people throwing a, watching people throw a football around. I mean, it's just a lot of money, extravagant for what it is. And we think about that, and, and we can probably understand maybe a little bit of the frustration that Jesus' disciples are experiencing in this passage. A woman who in Matthew remains uh, nameless takes an expensive jar of ointment and puts it on the head of Jesus. And I think we miss how expensive it really was. Um, I remember when my son was little, he had eczema really bad. And so we were trying to help him. And we're looking at like any ointment or cream that would help his eczema. And I remember finding like different tubs and they were varying prices. Some of them were kind of expensive. So you might have like a little tub of this ointment that might have been like $50 or $100. And to me, like that was expensive ointment. But that's not what they're talking about in, their, in this passage. They're talking about Super Bowl expensive. It says in the book of Mark that this ointment was worth about 300 uh, denarii. A denarius was about a day's wage for the average worker. And so kind of extrapolate that to today, and the average uh, wage in the United States in 2024, I found, was about $59,000. And with that $59,000, that's kind of assuming a five-day work week, you know, having two days off, 40 hours a week. So you'd be working about 261 days. So you add a little bit to that to get up to 300 days, and you add that on to that 59000 you get really close to that $68,000 number. And so you have this ointment. Of course, that's not an exact number. It's just a, you know, a reference. But you, know, you have this $68,000 ointment. That's, that, that's kind of what he, she's looking at here. And, and further, we see in the book of Mark that uh, this was in a glass vial. And they would often do this where they would uh, put the ointment in the vial and seal it so that it couldn't evaporate. And so to use it, you'd have to break it open, and then after you broke it open, you'd have to use it in a relatively short amount of time. And so they, she breaks it open, puts it on Jesus, and in a matter of moments, all of that wealth is gone. $68,000, it seems, is down the tubes. You can understand the frustration of the disciples here. 
Jesus, remember, Jesus has just talked about the final judgment and talked about how we should care for the poor. Jesus has just talked about, like, what does it look like to be a faithful steward of the things that God has given us? And so Jesus has said all of these things, and you can understand the disciples' frustration, and they're just thinking, like, this woman, she just doesn't get it. I mean, Jesus has just talked about caring for the poor, caring for those in need, being a faithful steward. And then there's this woman who's just throwing out this $68,000 ointment wasted on Jesus. How much good could have been done with this ointment? But Jesus recognizes the beauty of what she has done. Jesus is headed to the cross. He's going to experience the greatest horrors that you could ever imagine. He's going to be brutalized, beaten. But this woman demonstrates, on the other hand, an incredible act of love as she, Jesus said, prepares him for his burial. And as we look at this passage, I think Craig Keener, scholar that I was reading this week, frames this passage really well with the question, how much is Jesus worth? And we're going to come back to this woman in, in a minute, but before we go there, she's not the only one in this passage that answers that question. There's three other people that answer that question, how much is Jesus worth? And the first group is the chief priests and the elders. And to them, Jesus isn't worth anything. He's not worth anything because Jesus is a threat to them. We see that the chief priests, they gather together and their plan is to arrest Jesus by stealth. They don't want to cause a scene because Jesus is popular at this point. So they plan to arrest him and put him to death because he's a threat to who they are. He's a threat to the religious establishment. He's a threat to their power that they wanted. And so to them, Jesus isn't worth anything. In fact, he's an obstacle to what they want. And some people in life are, are like that where, you know, maybe we're content the way things are. Maybe we don't want Jesus to come in and, and change us because, you know, maybe we are, are holding on to the sin that we have. And maybe, you know, maybe it's not satisfying, but it's comfortable and we don't want to change the way that we are. And so for some of us, you know, Jesus isn't really worth anything because we feel like he's come to take from us and he's a threat to what we really want in life. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. He said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So that's the chief priests and the elders. They, they love darkness. They want to live in darkness, and they don't want that light of Jesus to shine on them. And so to them, Jesus isn't worth anything. They, in fact, they just want to remove him from the scene. And so that's the first group that answers that question, how much is Jesus worth? And then there's the second person that answers that question, and that is Judas and to him, Jesus is worth something, but Jesus is a means to an end. Now, in this passage, it just tells us in Matthew that his disciples had a problem with what Jesus was doing. And that was true. They had a problem. But we're told in the book of John that it's one of those disciples, Judas, who was kind of the ringleader of this. And look at what it says in John chapter 12. It says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas, we see, was in charge of the finances for the disciples, and you know they had expenses as they were going around and doing different things. And of course, you know I don't think they had a lot of money that they were working with. But Judas had this arrangement where he was like, well, when money comes in, I can just take and, take and help myself to it. And, and maybe at the beginning, maybe he was interested in following Jesus and was kind of interested in what Jesus was saying. But after a while, it becomes clear, like, he's just interested in, in what he can get out of it. And, and maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking to himself, well, Jesus is becoming more popular and maybe if Jesus becomes more and more popular, you know, I'll be able to gain some more wealth and influence and power. And, and after, you know, he, he's the Messiah and maybe he's going to become king and I could be his right-hand man and I have this power and authority and wealth. The problem was Jesus wasn't interested in those things. In fact, sometimes, you know, there would be crowds that were following Jesus and Jesus would say things that were really hard and difficult and turn the crowds away. And we know that Jesus wasn't interested in gaining money. I mean, that wasn't what he was about. And so I think that Judas comes to the realization in this passage as this woman wastes this, in his mind, wastes this ointment on Jesus. I think there was this moment where Judas comes to the realization, I'm never going to get ahead with Jesus. I'm never going to get ahead. Like, Jesus is just wasting the things, like, we could have used this for so much good, and I could have taken a lot of this for myself. And if Jesus is going to, you know, take everything that's given and just waste it, I, I'm never going to get ahead. And he comes to the realization Jesus is better off dead, worth more dead to him than alive. And so he goes to the chief priests and the elders and he makes plans to betray Jesus. And he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver was a decent amount of money when you look at it from one perspective. But when you look at it from the perspective of human life, it wasn't really very much at all. 30 shekels of pieces of silver was about $20,000 in today's currency or something, you know, around there. And what's interesting in the Old Testament was actually the sum that was given in the case that a, a slave was killed. It was the price of a slave. Exodus 31, 20, 21, 32, it says, If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And so how much does Judas value Jesus? The amount of a slave. That, that's how much he values Jesus. That Jesus is worth something, but Jesus is a means to an end. And when he realizes that Jesus is not going to lead him in the path of power and wealth and influence, he's willing to betray him. Now, none of us would be that blatant, but some of us in our world today see Jesus as worth something, but we see him as a means to what we really want. That he's not the treasure, it's that we have other treasures that we want, and if we do the right things, maybe he'll lead us to those treasures. Like if we go to church, or we give to the poor, or if we tithe, or we do religious activities, then God's going to give us good health, and we're going to have a lot of money in our bank account. And It's not that we want a relationship with him, we want him to bless us and give us what we really want. And maybe when, you know, things are going good, we're the first ones, it's like we're going to raise our hands and say, praise the Lord, he's so good. But then when darkness comes, when trials come, we're like, what am I doing this for? 
Like, I thought we were on the path of success. I thought we were on the path of blessing. And here I am suffering. Like, what was the point in it? Like, why did I go to church? Why did I give to the poor? Why did I try to obey him if this is what was going to end up happening? Because Jesus, he's worth something, but he's a means to an end. Notice also that Judas, he doesn't call Jesus Lord as many of the other disciples do. He simply calls him rabbi. And his hope was one day, if he followed this up-and-coming rabbi, maybe he would get his payday, and he realizes Jesus isn't going to lead him there. And so he's willing to sell Jesus for the cost of a slave. So Judas, to Judas, Jesus is worth something, but he's a means to an end. But then let's go, go back to this lady in the passage. To her, Jesus is worth everything because Jesus is a treasure to her, the treasure to her. Now in Matthew, we're told that simply this is a woman, unnamed woman. But in John, we're told that this is Mary of Bethany. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was busy with you know, preparing things and whatnot. Remember, Mary was the brother of, or sister of Lazarus. Lazarus had just passed away previously, and then Jesus raises him from the dead. And then there's this dinner party that's being thrown. It seems kind of in Jesus' honor, and seems like Lazarus is going to be there. And we get more of that context from the book of John. But there's this party that's being thrown, a dinner party. Notice something else in this passage. We, we see that it's held at the house of Simon the leper. Now, we just pass over that sometimes. Okay, like that's where it was. was no big deal. But think about the significance of that. Leprosy. In the ancient world, leprosy. If someone has leprosy, you don't get near them. You don't touch them with a 10-foot pole. It's not like six feet social distancing. It's like, go to the other side of the street. I don't even want to look at you. I mean, it's, it's like if, as if someone had Ebola, like you don't want to be anywhere near them because there was this belief that, you know, you could become unclean and that you could get this disease that's going to lead to your death. So what does that tell us? It tells us that most likely Simon the leper is, is no longer a leper now. He was a leper and now he's been healed. Most likely it was Jesus that healed him. We don't know that in the text, but Given the context, that's the most likely explanation. We also know, you know, most likely, the fact that they're eating at this man's house, Simon the leper, he was probably a family friend. And so you think about Mary, and she's in this context where her brother has just died, has been risen from the grave, where her friend perhaps had leprosy and was headed to the grave, and now Jesus has healed him. And, and she's just overwhelmed with gratitude. She's just overwhelmed at who Jesus is. And so she's willing to take this $68,000 ointment and do for Jesus what she didn't even do for her own brother. You know, her own brother has died. He could, she could have used this ointment on her brother. But she doesn't. She uses it for Jesus because she's so overwhelmed at who Jesus is for her. That Jesus is her treasure. treasure. Jesus is her everything. It seems extravagant to spend that amount of currency, that amount of wealth, on such a momentary gesture. It seems exceeding the limits 
of reason or necessity, lacking in balance, moderation, or restraint. Extremely or excessively elaborate, unreasonable, extremely high in price, spending much more than necessary. But as we look at this passage, I would argue, yes, it's great love, but it's not extravagant love. It's great love, but it's, it's really not extravagant love. We see extravagant love in verses 26 to 27. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. I mean, think about it. The sinless Son of God who dwells in inapproachable light, who lived forever in this perfect triunity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who has need of nothing, chose to come to the earth to live in darkness, to love people who are, by and large, going to misunderstand him, who are going to reject him, who are going to crucify him. One of these disciples is going to betray him. The rest are going to flee. Some of them are going to say, I don't even know this guy, Jesus. And yet Jesus says, here, all of you, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. That's extravagant love. And, and we think about our own lives where all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and that's just not our state, that's our reality. Even if we're believers, we fall short of the glory of God each day. And yet every moment, Jesus offers us his body and blood, says, take Eat. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood that's shed for you. That is extravagant love. And when we think about this question, how much is Jesus worth? We can't answer that question unless we understand how much Jesus is worth to us. And on the surface, it seems like what this woman does is extravagant, but it's not extravagant. It's simply a response to what Jesus has done for her. A few years ago, uh, it was Christmas, and this particular Christmas, I, I just felt like I nailed it in terms of presents. And I got a number of presents for my wife. I don't remember what they were. I, I remember one of them was a Blu-ray player that she had wanted, a um, set of sheets for the bed that she had wanted. And I remember just, you know, her opening those, and I'm like, I did really good this year. Like, I'm a great husband. Like, this is awesome. And she got me some things, and they were nice. I'm like, okay, well, I got some better things for you. I mean, I, mean, I wasn't keeping score, but I'm like, I really, I really got her some nice things. And so we open up all the presents, and, and I'm on the top of the world, and I'm like, I did well. And then she says, I got one more present for you. She goes and gets this box. I open up the box, and it was a zoom lens for my camera because I... Uh, did a lot of birding, and I wanted this zoom lens for a really long time. It's worth hundreds of dollars, and I was just floored. And, and suddenly, all those feelings that I had of like, wow, I was extravagant, like I went over the top here, suddenly I was like, I, I didn't do anything. Like, what kind of a husband am I? Like, I stink. Because when I saw her gift, the gifts that I gave her weren't so extravagant anymore. And I think the same thing is true in our relationship with Christ. When we see the gift that Jesus is to us, when we see the fact that he shed his blood for us, gave us his body that was broken, there's nothing that we could do that would really be extravagant. 
That's extravagant love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The sinless Son of God for the broken, for those who didn't deserve it. And anything that we could do is pals in comparison to that. And so this woman, again, is willing to break open this little vial of ointment, even if it was worth $68,000. Because Jesus was worth that much to her. So I ask the question again, how much is Jesus worth to you? For some of us, Jesus isn't worth anything because, you know, maybe we're living in that place of darkness. We love the way that we are. And again, even if it's not working that great for us, it's like we're comfortable. We don't want to give up whatever that sin or hold is that we have in our life. We want to go our own way. Some of us, again, we do religious things. This is something that's a temptation for, for anyone who does religious things who comes to church. It's like, am I here because I love Jesus? Or am I here because like, I think that maybe I'll look spiritual to the people around me? Am I here because maybe I think if I do these things that God's going to bless me? Is Jesus a means to an end, or is Jesus our everything? Is he our treasure? Is he the one that's worth giving everything for? And the real key there, again, is that how we answer that question will be directly related to how much we believe that we're worth to God. If we believe that God is out to get us, if we believe that God is out to take stuff from us, we won't see Jesus as a treasure. At best, we'll see him as a hard taskmaster. Martin Luther once said this. He said, the sin underneath all of our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. But when we understand the sacrifice of Jesus, when we understand the extravagant love that he's poured out in our hearts, it changes everything. When we understand the love of Christ, it allows us to comprehend his grace in unfathomable ways. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I used to look at that passage and I thought, I, I was kind of scared by that, that verse. It's like, maybe Jesus is going to call me to do something like really difficult, like sell all that I have. But I missed something in this verse. Note what it says in this verse, that he found a treasure. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. He didn't, do it, he didn't sell all he had because he had to. In joy, he went and sold all he had. He found this treasure and like, this is worth so much that, yeah, I'm freely willing to give up everything to have this treasure. See, when it comes down to it, I think we're all extravagant about something. Or maybe about multiple things. We're all extravagant, or it may seem like we're extravagant when it comes to many different things. Like, say when a man falls in love with a woman and wants to propose to her, what does he do? He goes and buys a ring. That's extravagant. You know, to have metal and a stone that we pay thousands of dollars for. That's extravagant, but we accept that because that man values that woman, and it's a reflection of that. Sometimes people will be like, well, I don't really have time for my family. I, you know, I, I just am so busy all the time. Like, I'm trying to do, get ahead. Like, I don't have time to spend with God. And then you see them in their 
on their phone, like, all the time. You know the average person in America spends 11 hours each day interacting with reading or listening to media? 11 hours a day. That's extravagant. Uh, or sometimes people will be like, um, man, I, I wish I could, like, afford a house. I, I wish I could afford a house, and I feel like I could never afford a house. But then you see them, and they, like, drive this super fancy, nice car. They eat out every day. You know, you always see them shopping. They're like, I could never afford a house. Or, or vice versa. People are like, sometimes, like, I could never afford, like, this kind of car. And then you go to their, your, their house, and you see it, and it's like 5,000 square feet, and you're like, what do you do for a living? We're all extravagant in certain ways. Sometimes people will be like, well, I can't eat healthy. I can't afford to, to buy healthy food. And then, you know, they'll smoke a pack of cigarettes every day. See, we're all extravagant about one thing or another. But we're willing to invest our time, our resources, and, our, and the, the things that God has given us in the things that we consider treasures. We don't have time, we don't have money for the things that don't matter for, to us. But if something matters to us enough, we'll make the time, we'll make the resources, we'll have the energy to do it. Because where our treasure is, Jesus says, that's where our heart will be also. Wherever that treasure is, we're willing to be extravagant for that treasure. I think of my late grandfather who... Um, Remember going into his house, and it looked like you were going back into the 70s. He didn't do anything in his house. And it wasn't like it was, you know, falling apart or anything. It was just everything was outdated. He just didn't put any money into it. But then when it came to his kids and his grandkids, someone needed something. They needed help with a car or help with their student loans. He's like, okay, let's get out the checkbook. Like, how can I help? Why? Because he valued his family. He didn't value his house. And we're willing to spend our resources, our time, our energy, our money on the things that matter to us. Is Jesus what matters to us? Is he our treasure? What does it look like for Jesus to be our treasure? It means that he's the one that we live for. It means that we spend time with him. It means that we strive to obey him. That he's the one that moves our hearts. And Jesus won't be our treasure unless we're born again, unless we have an experience, an encounter with Jesus. And there's some people here who maybe have never had that encounter with Jesus. And maybe, you know, we've encountered God's word and we see Jesus as kind of this taskmaster who wants to take from us, wants to keep us from the things that we really want. Maybe we don't see that he is the good shepherd that has come to give us life. And so maybe today would be the day that, you know, you would say, I want Christ in my life. Maybe I don't feel like he's a treasure right now, but I want to experience that treasure that is Christ. I don't want to do life on my own. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want him to come in and change me. And when we call out to him, he'll do that. He'll come in and he'll give us a new hope and a new life that we could never imagine. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out great. But We'll have that treasure that is him. It's not about getting something from him. It's he is the treasure. Others of us, we're believers in Jesus, and we know that Jesus is our treasure. But maybe we feel sometimes like we're a little bit far from him. 
Maybe the things of this world have kind of taken over our view of God. Maybe there's some sin that we've been holding on to, and maybe that sin is causing us to not see Jesus as he truly is. And if that's you today, we can recommit ourselves to him. We can learn to fall in love with him all over again. There's a couple I came across on the internet this week. Their name was uh, Jeff and Angela Harding. And uh, Angela Harding was crossing the road in New York City in 2000, October 2013. She was hit by a vehicle, uh, severely injured. They weren't sure if she was going to make it. She was in a medically induced coma for a month. And then she woke up and she was just a shell of who she was. Uh, she, was she was disfigured physically, but also mentally as well. She had no idea what had happened in the previous 15 years of her life. Her husband came into the room, and she had no idea that she was even married to him. As he came in, she thought that he was um, a doctor. The doctor said that and warned that marriages rarely survive this kind of traumatic brain injury. It's just too much weight for the marriage to hold. But Jeff resolved he wasn't going to let her go. He, he wasn't just going to step aside and let her go her own way. He resolved he was going to do whatever it took to win her back again. He resolved that he was going to be there for her no matter what until she fell in love with him again. Angela said this. She said, I'd look at Jeff patiently telling me the same stories over and over, or smiling at photos of our family on a day trip I didn't remember, and think, who does this for his wife? Many men would just walk away or bury themselves in work or hobbies as a, as a way to avoid the responsibility. Jeff never did that. And as the months turned in, into years, I fell in love. Jeff, for his part, said this, how often do we wish that we could do something over? He asked, suddenly, he asked, suddenly I was given that chance to woo Angela again, to show her just how much I loved her. It wasn't a burden to do that. It was a privilege. And it worked. Angela fell in love with him once again, and five years after that, um, they were remarried once again. They were obviously still married, but they recommitted themselves to one another, renewed their vows. Now, of course, that took a lot from Jeff. He had to uh, keep telling the same stories over and over again. He had to be in a place where, you know, his wife didn't remember any of their memories. But he was willing to do that, to lead her back to the relationship. And Angela, for her part, she had to do some things as well. She had to trust Jeff. She talks about the time when she was going home from the hospital, and this was after a few months after she woke up from the coma, and she's having to go home to a place with a person that is a stranger to her. To sleep in the same bed with someone that she doesn't remember. And so she had to be vulnerable enough to do that, to trust Jeff. And Jeff did the rest in showing her love. I think the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. Maybe we feel like we are far from Christ. Maybe it feels like you know, we're the shell of the, per of the person we once were. Maybe we don't feel that grace and love in our hearts that we once did. Maybe when we get up and stand and, and worship Jesus, 
You know, maybe it's like we're just going through the motions and it doesn't move our hearts anymore. And if that's the case, we can cry out to him. We can recommit our lives to him today. And it's vulnerable in that, like, we need to trust him. We need to say, God, I need you. I need you to show me your love again. I need you to overwhelm me with your gospel once again. But when, he do, when we do that, he'll come in and he'll win our hearts once again. Revelation 3.20, to a, Jesus was speaking to a church that was lukewarm. And Jesus said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Christ wants a relationship with each and every one of us. Whether we're, this is our first time entering into a relationship with him, or maybe if we've just kind of grown in love with the things of this world, where the things of Christ have grown dim. He wants a relationship with him, and when we trust in him, when we say, God, come into my life, show me your grace, show me your love, show me how to honor you, he'll answer that prayer, and he'll be our treasure. So I'll ask once again, how much is Jesus worth to you? Is Jesus worth anything? Is he a threat to who you are and what you want in life? Is Jesus worth something? Is he a means to what you really want? Or have you been so overwhelmed by his love for us? It's demonstrated in the cross that he's our treasure, that he's our everything, that we believe that he's the one that holds the words of eternal life, that he's the one that holds our, our destiny in his hands, and that he's everything to us. Let's pray. In these moments of quiet before we sing, before we partake of communion, may we just take a few minutes to Reflect on our life. Reflect on that question, how much is Jesus worth to me? Maybe there's someone here who would say, he's not really worth anything to me. I don't have a relationship with him. And if that's you, I just encourage you, say something like this in your heart. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm broken. I know that you saved me. Lord, come into my life. Make me new. Lord, help me to see you as everything. Lord, help me to have you as my treasure. Maybe there's others here who, maybe we've just grown careless. Maybe we've just, maybe grown in love with sin a little bit. And maybe we'd commit ourselves to Christ today and say, Lord, I want you. More than I want anything else in this world, I want your presence in my life. And maybe we would say, I don't feel it right now. It seems like you've left. It seems like there's darkness. Maybe we just cry out and say, Lord, show me your love again. Show me your grace. Show me your mercy. May I once again be overwhelmed by the love that you've shared with me. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the work that you're doing in all of our hearts. We thank you that you are a treasure that is worth selling everything for. That even though you don't call us to us all to do that, Lord, that if that's what it costs, that you're worth it. If it costs going to another country and living in a little hut, you're worth it. If it means living an ordinary nine to five and 
caring for our families, you're worth it. That you're everything to us. Lord, help us to never forget that. Help us to be in all of you each and every day. May your Holy Spirit remind us of your grace and extravagant love in the gospel. In Christ's name.